Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people today. Outspoken with White and Jordan. 100% engagement. It's a total disrespect. Download, stand well back, listen. Jim White and Simon Jordan. I don't see that view. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. I'm Sam Masterface, and today myself and Alex Crook discuss Manchester United's comeback win against Aston Villa. Is this another turning point for Eric Ten Hag? Plus, we take a look at what Sir Jim Ratcliffe, chairman of Ineos, will have on his to-do list at Old Trafford. We analyse Liverpool's title credentials, although they're top of the table. Do they really feel like the best team in the league? And is there any pressure on the Newcastle manager, Eddie Howe, after six defeats in seven games? This is Outspoken with White and Jordan. Manchester United getting back on the score sheet again for the first time since the 6th of December and putting points on the board as well. Now, you know I love you, don't you? <laughs> Here we go. I do. I love you. I love you. Yeah, I, think you're br- I think you're a brilliant journalist. You're great at breaking news. Thank you. But you do get a little bit emotional sometimes. And I do have a, a habit of calling you out on the Premier League All Access podcast for being what is commonly known as a flip-flopper. You like to change your mind over the, like, a very short period of time so it's a one week a manager should be fired the next week you know he's, he's the best thing since sliced bread you, you, you change your mind very quickly don't you is that fair? Football's uh, an ever changing ever evolving <laughs> game isn't it so uh, life moves quickly in football okay so um, <laughs> this was yesterday just before half time uh, from Alex Crook's Twitter. Um, you have to credit Manchester United for continually finding new ways to get even worse. The goalkeeper is absolutely terrible. Who on earth sanctioned that deal? Next tweet. At 17 <laughs> to 10, Aston Villa looking an absolute gift. <laughs> um, Garnacho couldn't make a single, a simple 10-yard pass to Rashford, who was in an offside position anyway. Honestly, this lot an embarrassment to the shirt. <laughs> I stand by what I said in the first half. Second half has been unreal. Fans playing their part inside the ground. Need to see it through. Crikey was the final tweet. <laughs> that sums it up quite nicely. Did you go on a bit of a journey yesterday? I was an emotional wreck by the end of it. I, th- I think when the third goal went in, I pretty much slide tackled the front door. I missed the first oh, United the goal front door. altogether because I actually wanted to turn the game off at half time and the family, because they enjoy seeing me suffer, they wouldn't let me do that. So I was sulking in the kitchen when Ganacho scored the first goal. But listen, the first half was dire. And we're asking the question in this section, is this a turning point or is Ten Hag still on thin ice? How many turning points are Manchester United going to have uh, over the course of this season? I, I was at the Copenhagen as game. As many as you. When Anana made that late penalty save, and you thought maybe that's the moment the season turns. No, they still 
crashed out of the Champions League. The Chelsea game, when they were dominant against Mauricio Pochettino's side, you think, well, maybe this is it. Then they get hammered at home by Bournemouth. I was at Liverpool with you, uh, watching a really gritty display to get a point uh, off the title chase, and you think, well, maybe this is the turning point. Then they get hammered at West Ham. At least they showed a fight back, though, yesterday, because in the game against West Ham, one of the things that I think was really disappointing was that they went 2-0 down to, to West Ham, who were, were OK. They were, they were good. They put a decent display. But actually, you know... There was no sort of response from Manchester United and there should have been after they went 2-0 down with 15 minutes to go. You would have expected something. They had that stirring yesterday and I think it was inspired by the offside uh, Garnacho goal. That sort of lifted the mood. He was quite sort of ebullient and full of life and that revved up the crowd and the atmosphere was good yesterday at it Old was. Trafford. I was there uh, and it was, it, was, it, was a, it was a brilliant atmosphere, especially in the second half. I think they were right to boo in the first half because I didn't think they were very good at all. When I spoke to Eric Ten Hag afterwards, he said, actually, no, no, no the performance was, was, was good. We, you know, we had a couple of good chances. The problem is, is that up until Garnacho took the game by the scruff of the neck, truly... They didn't look like they were going to score. They can create as many chances as they like, but when you've gone four games without scoring a goal, the confidence is low. Hoyland at that point didn't seem to to to, to know his sort of coordinates. He was just not quite at at the right pace. And then, you know, or on the same wavelength with some of his teammates as well, wasn't reading the play. Rashford and him had a little bit of a fallout. Garnacho and him had a little bit of a fallout. But slowly but surely, as they got back into the game and the goals started to flow, all of a sudden things went started to go their way. Well, the, the issue in that first half was the decision-making at the top end of the pitch was poor, hence that uh, tweet about, about Rashford being in an offside position, which he didn't need to be, albeit Garnacho couldn't even find him with a pass anyway. The two goals they conceded were lamentable. Anana was dread, dreadful for the first goal. The second goal, but Moran, kept you in it. doesn't pick up his man at the far post. Yes, he did, but to quote your mate Roy Keane, that's his job. To save the ball. He made a brilliant save from Leon Bailey. If that goal goes in, then it is over. Yeah, but that doesn't atone for all the mistakes that Anana has made. The jury is very much still out on him. I didn't like Bruno Fernandes' body language again. I didn't even really like Bruno Fernandes post-match stood there sort of strutting his stuff for the TV cameras because in that first half, he was as poor as anybody. Yes, it was a great second half, but this is what this group of Manchester United players do. They turn up, they turn it on when they want to turn it on. Usually it's one game and then they revert to type. Last night, it was one half of football. They need to produce a consistent level of performance. Otherwise, it's just going to be all these ebbs and flows over the course of the season and Ten Hag will end up getting fired. The world's most dangerous download. Outspoken with White and Jordan from the world's biggest sports radio station. Talk sport. Let's speak to uh, Duncan, who is a Manchester United fan. Hello, Duncan. I don't think Ten Hag had anything to do with it, really, yesterday afternoon. Watching him for the last three months, I don't think he's really got a clue what he's doing. I watched the game against West Ham. It's 0-0. You've got Anthony on, who's not done anything. There's more use in a wet tea, tea bag than there is in Anthony. He took Hoyland off on Saturday and brought Rashford on. Why aren't you playing Rashford and Hoyland to be attacking? With Our wingers don't play wide enough or they're not good enough to be there. Um, and yesterday, I think it was a crowd that lifted it because they just wanted to see United be United, not anything to do with Eric Tonag. He just doesn't seem to know what he's doing at all at the minute. What is it that doesn't fill you with confidence with him? Do you think that he's his, his tactical plan or is he hampered by injuries? Or do you think that sometimes he needs to come out and be a little bit more commanding when he's talking? I spoke to him after the West Ham game and he said to me that he thought it was a, a solid performance. And I started scratching my head thinking, I'm not sure we were watching the same game. I don't think he does watch the same game half the time. I'm sure he's playing FIFA at the time that he's saying it's been a solid game. 
Um, and I don't think he'll be any good at that. Um, I just think he just doesn't he doesn't fulfil you full of confidence when they've come out after the game. As you say, there's nothing there. Um, but his tactics, I haven't seen any tactics. As I say, he doesn't want to do anything. It's nil nil against West Ham, and he takes off Hoyland, who, who's not getting the service from our wingers. Why do you why do you leave Anthony on? He, he just he's keeping players on. The keeper's not good enough for United. Why they got rid of De Gea, I've no idea. Um, and he's just not. His signings haven't filled me full of confidence. Eighty-five million for a, a winger that can't cross, that can't defend, and can't score. You might as well have bought me at fifty-three. Duncan, thank you very much for your call. Appreciate it. Um, Jonathan is uh, the Manchester United fan who's joined us next. Hello. I think you know. Frankly, I think Ten Hag's time is coming to an end. But. Right. I agree with what Alex is saying. All the carnivals and all this chopping and changing. What concerns me is is particularly the signings. They haven't worked. Tell me one signing that's worked. Well, it's, it's something that we tried to do actually yesterday before we went on air because we were looking at the net yeah. spend over the course of the last 10 years and Manchester United got the highest net spend out of anyone in the Premier League and if you yeah. go back over the last few years when was the last time they bought a player and they made a real impact I'd suggest the last time it happened probably was Bruno Fernandes Casemiro yeah. had a spell last year where he came Absolutely. in and helped the team out but consistently Bruno Fernandes probably the last big acquisition that made a huge impact Absolutely, I agree. And that's the point, right? So we've overpaid right, consistently, and, and you will agree with this, Sam, and, and Alex, right? We, we're consistently overpaying for players, and this is the biggest issue I've got with Ten Hag. He, he's been adamant about buying particular players he had at Ajax, right? And then we end up paying, I don't know, £80 million pounds for... Um, Anthony? Yeah, thank you. Well, what has he done? He's not worth that money. Well, and no goals, no assists this season so far. Do you think, though, that that recruitment strategy will change now that you've got the, the new investment from Ineos? So. Yeah, I, I sincerely hope so, because they're going to have to have a strategy and look at that. Because you've got to... Look, I, look forgive me. Look, we are Manchester United. We, we must have a plan to acquire people with a record and not just let someone... I don't want... I mean, I, I did say when I called up, I, I don't really want to say... Ten Hag back is like uh, I think Alex was just saying in a minute. We're just going to go around, round and round, and not get anywhere. We've got to have a plan. So hopefully, with with uh, Jim Radcliffe, we're going to get a plan, a plan to change stuff. It does mean we're going to get rid of players. Another thing I mentioned when I called your producer, or, or look, what really concerns me, for example, had we've got Jaden Sancho, right? Why is he not playing? What, what, what is the explanation for that? This is one of the best players in Europe. Whoa. You, is it? <laughs> well, he was. He had the potential to be, but he hasn't lived up to that potential yet. And he certainly didn't live up at Manchester United prior to his exclusion from the squad, did he? But yeah, I understand what you mean. You've got an asset there that you're not using, that you've paid a lot of money for, 73 million quid. How do you get yeah. the best out of him? Who can get the best out of him. Uh, Jonathan, yeah. thank you very much for your call. Appreciate it. Cheers to everyone who's called so far. It's 03717 uh, I was speaking to someone uh, yesterday in the, in, the, in the tunnel at Old Trafford uh, from Manchester United who was saying, sort of almost referencing the fact that one of the things that sort of helped the team yesterday was that they sort of 
got down, got stuck in in the second half and actually upped their, their levels. It was more of a sort of... And it's about... You know, one of the things that the Manchester United crowd, Newcastle crowd, Liverpool crowd will always respond to is watching a team dig in, get down and get stuck in. You know, these are working class cities, a lot of them still working class support. It's not patronising to say that they want to be shown that everybody else cares as much as they care and they want to get involved and they want to dig in. And Manchester United did that last night. And they should understand that people spend a lot of money going to watch the team and that's the bare minimum that they expect. And if you saw that week in, week out, I don't think anyone would be anywhere near as harshly critical on them. I agree. And and there's a common misconception that, that Manchester United fans are spoiled, they're deluded, they feel they have a divine right to be winning trophies. And that's just you. That isn't the case, though. You know, I, I know that the glory days of Sir Alex Ferguson are long gone, but all that any football fan wants, whether you're League Two, non-league, Premier League, whatever division your team play in, maximum effort. And the problem with this bunch of players is they don't put in maximum effort regularly enough the world's most dangerous download outspoken with white and jordan from the world's biggest sports radio station talk sport last night was manchester united's first game since the ineos group which sir jim radcliffe is the chairman of agreed to buy a 25 percent stake for around about 1.03 billion the group have taken control of all of the club's football operations including the men's and women's teams and the academy as well we've got further details on this because it's quite interesting to sort of hear because a lot of people will say well they've only bought 25 percent and the glazers still got 75 percent so what control does that give them that means it still means the glazers are in charge but that's not true is it no um and i think when you get into the detail i've I've been sent a document this morning that's 241 pages long that outlines uh, this deal in the most minute detail it's interesting, first and foremost, that it was the Glazer family who actually suggested to Ineos and Sir Jim Ratcliffe that they wanted them to take sporting control. It wasn't necessarily a demand from Ratcliffe coming in, although I'm sure that was on his agenda anyway. But as you said in the commentary last night, that's basically the mission of failure, isn't it, from the Glazers over the last decade or so in particular since Sir Alex Ferguson and David Gill left the football club, that they feel that they haven't really done a good enough job on the football side, so they want somebody else to come in and make those big decisions. And in the document, it states clearly, actually, that the Glazers can't hire or fire a director of football or a manager without Ineos uh, having final approval. They can't sign any players or sell any players without Ineos having final approval. It's the same when it comes to dishing out new contracts. And I mentioned Wan-Bissaka, him and Victor Lindelof, I think are in a bit of limbo when it comes to their long-term futures at the football club. There's details also about the stadium redevelopment that £300 million is going to be committed by Sir Jim Ratcliffe to sprucing up Old Trafford as the first part of a long-term plan to completely redevelop the ground. Is that um, completely guaranteed to be used on the stadium or is there a suggestion that it might be used for day-to-day operations? I think the bulk of it is going to be used on the stadium and that is uh, detailed in the document. doesn't really reference that the training ground which I think also is in, in need of a bit of a, a redevelopment or the they, ha- they have already started doing little bits of that yeah uh, but that needs bringing up to scratch as well no mention of the historic debt as part of this deal which obviously is a, is a big issue for yeah, a lot it also of Manchester United like fans six, over 6 billion quid crook including the debt so yeah. it's valued at 6 billion quid so, I, I'm, I'm not sure that they'll, they'll be worried too much about carrying the debt Uh, And the other interesting thing is that uh, if the Glazers decide to sell their majority shareholding, Sir Jim Ratcliffe can't stop that unless he buys it himself. He doesn't have the power to veto 
the Glazers selling their shares to a third party. He gets first refusal. He gets first refusal. That's yeah. key, though, isn't it? Yes, uh, and, and one would imagine that that's his plan, but I think we need to hear from the man himself. There are whispers that maybe he's going to sit down with Gary Neville on his Overlap podcast. and, and He's it, already written a letter to the Manchester United Supporters Trust, actually, hasn't he? And uh, I read that today, and I thought it was quite a... You know, as far as a first sort of salvo as to well, this is what we're going to plan to do, I thought it was quite good and to very PR speak. We're, you know, here for long term. There's a lot of talk about long term. Even in the initial statement that they released on Christmas Eve, there was, you know, the idea of re- returning Manchester United to to sport the top of the sporting tree, and something that actually, you know, the Glazers did put in that statement as well. You know, the fact that that they've spent a lot of money over the course of the last 10 years, but that hasn't translated into sporting success. So that is why they've asked somebody else to take charge of this department and deal with it. You know, look, so Dave, so Dave Browsford was there last night. He he has been part of the, the group that's been running Nice. Nice is second in league at this time. It hasn't been a smooth sailing process there either, but slowly but surely they've got to the point where they're in a good position now. This is a guy who obviously has a good reputation for his work they did with the British Olympic cycling team prior to that and he's obviously well trusted by Sir Jim Radcliffe so what should be on his to-do list first? Well he's going to get a seat on the board as well um, There's two seats on the board for Ineos right? Uh, yeah Jean-Claude Blanc um, who we expect to come in as the, the CEO is going to get the other seat so that's that's another uh, interesting aspect of this deal In terms of the to-do list I think what was interesting that letter actually he, he almost pleaded for patience with the Manchester United fans he said yes we want to get the club back to where we feel they belong, but it will take time. And you've mentioned it's taken time at Nice. So I, I, I don't think he's promising an overnight fix because there are still FFP restrictions within which United have to operate. But I think the first part of the job is to clear out the Deadwood. And there's still an awful lot of Deadwood at that football club, as far as I'm concerned. Trim the wage bill because I think they've got players uh, earning far too much money for what they're actually producing on the pitch. Try and build a squad and a first team with an identity because I think that's been a big issue for Eric Ten Hag. We don't really know what sort of team Manchester United are at this moment in time. The stadium does need uh, redeveloping and, and bringing up to scratch. I think it's an embarrassment for Manchester United that Old Trafford wasn't even part of the bid for the European Championships that are going to be held in this country. It was once the most iconic venue in the land and it isn't anymore. We mentioned the training ground needs some work. I think they need to reconnect as, a, as an ownership with the supporters and Sir Jim Ratcliffe has promised more transparency, but we heard that from the Glazers after the Super League fallout and they didn't deliver on that. So there's an awful lot to do, but I think key to it all is getting recruitment right and that appointment of Director of Football, Sporting Director... I think that is going to be absolutely crucial. Uh, lots of rumours that Dan Ashworth will take that role. Mm. Is that a, a, a possibility? I think it's a strong possibility. Uh, there, Why a... would he want to leave Newcastle United to go and join a new project after only basically just joining it, a, a relatively new project? Because I think there are a lot of different people at Newcastle who are wanting to have their say. Um, maybe Dan Ashworth would prefer if, if he could take more of a lead role and I think it's a big opportunity isn't it at Manchester United if you come in as sporting director and you're seen as the man to turn around this sinking ship big if I think that would be a massive ego boost if you like and there's obviously a lot of ego in football but he has that predated relationship as well doesn't he with Sir Dave Brailsford I think he got him in to actually address the Newcastle players one pre-season I think he spoke to Ineos as well 
about potentially taking up a role at Nice. It spoke to Sir Jim Ratcliffe. So I think he ticks a lot of boxes. You've got Paul Mitchell as well, once of Tottenham, Southampton and Monaco. A Mancunian uh, back in the city and I'm told mm. that he's very keen to come in and it might not be either or because I think they're looking at a complete overhaul on that structure and there could well be a director of football uh, sorry a sporting director Dan Ashworth for example and then someone like Paul Mitchell Dougie Friedman who comes in as head of recruitment so it's, it's going to be interesting well, to see how those positions are filled and Darren Fletcher who are working in that department at this moment in time John uh, Murtar in particular has been the football director technical director Dan, uh, Darren Fletcher I think he'll go John Murtar um, it probably would be a PR win to keep Darren Fletcher around bit of a, a club legend and I think actually he, he does have a role to play I think he's probably doing too many different jobs at this moment in time I think he could do with streamlining uh, and finding a, a definitive role but I mean we read the piece that our colleagues at Athletic did last week John Murta didn't come out of that particularly well I'm told that he's well regarded in the game he's respected by people in similar positions at other football clubs. He's seen as a good guy, but I think he's probably been promoted above his station. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend, but what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The world's most dangerous download. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Liverpool top of the Premier League by two points after beating Burnley 2-0 at Turf Moor. Probably should have been by more as well. They had a goal disallowed. What did you think of the goal that was disallowed, by the way? Salah standing in front of the goalkeeper, but he appears to be pushed in front of the goalkeeper by a Burnley player. Should that have been disallowed? It was a really good finish from Harvey Elliott. Yeah, I, I think twofold. Uh, one, you're right, there was a definite shove. And two, I don't think the goalkeeper's saving it anyway. I mean, yeah, that's not in the laws of the game, but I, I, I totally agree with you. We watched it from behind the goal. There was no chance he was getting down to that. Yeah, so I, I think Liverpool can feel hard done by on that, but it was a good win, actually, uh, away from home. Clean sheet, they'll be delighted about that. 
and uh, Darwin Nunez finally uh, much to Scott Minto's joy getting himself on the score sheet I can't believe you're giving Darwin Nunez stick Rasmus Hoyland's just got his first goal <laughs> for Manchester United in the Premier League why, why are you having to go at Darwin Nunez he's a good player Darwin Nunez and as you have him at Jurgen Klopp you know he's helped the team over the course of the last few weeks missed some chances as well though alright I'd, I'd argue he's missed more chances than Rasmus Hoyland has um, Rasmus Hoyland missed the most big chances in the league up until last night mm. So you're wrong there. Not statistically wrong. Not convinced about it. You're that. not convinced about the statistics. No. No, okay. All right. Well, we'll just go by the crook statistics, which is just made up. All right. Okay. Fine. Great journalism. Uh, Diego Jota wrapped it up in the 90th minute. Uh, Jurgen Klopp's side taking advantage of Arsenal not playing till Thursday evening when they host West Ham. That's live on Talksport. 8.15 kickoff. Um, I was asked this question when I said, I've said on the Premier League All Access podcast that I think they were the value bet in terms of a team winning the league I fancy them to go on and, and have a really good solid challenge to try and lift the trophy and uh, the producer said to me are they as good as the the, the, the team that won the championship in 2019-20 and I said I don't think they'll have to be because I think that was a special level those two years yeah. where Liverpool and Manchester City they got those huge points totals both nearly getting 100 points there were point between the two they, they were special years special teams and the, the league was different it's a lot more competitive at the top of the table this time around I don't think you'll need as many points to win the league No I think you're right I mean I think certainly this Manchester City team is not as good as the one that Liverpool were competing with at that moment in time They've still got a chance by the way big chance Yeah of course they have uh, because we know that Pep Guardiola is more than capable of going on a massive run of victories at the business end of the season as City did last year but for me it's still Arsenal are the favourites I tipped them up at the start of the season because I just felt that Man City might have a little bit of a drop off having completed football basically last year and won the treble and I felt like Arsenal would be stronger for what they experienced when they fell away at the end of last season I felt like Declan Rice would be that transformative signing for them so I think it's a huge opportunity for them but it was a vital win for Liverpool yesterday having drawn two home games that probably they felt they could have won them both they needed to go away from home Burnley not an easy place to go and, and pick up three points they've done that so I think we genuinely have a three team title race this season really enjoyed the game on Saturday when they played against uh, Arsenal thought it was a good game high level game and you know I think there's no shame in getting a point from that I think they'll be disappointed that they didn't beat Manchester United mm. because they were the better team in that game they were trying to force it Manchester United defended well and in the end Liverpool weren't at their very best during that game do Liverpool look like the best team in the country for you or do you think no. Arsenal are a little bit better than why, what, what do you think the difference is? I think Arsenal just look a little bit more in control I can see Liverpool dropping more silly points than Arsenal you take Luton for example obviously they came away with only a point in the end from Kenilworth Road Liverpool mm. and again where they created so many opportunities and that didn't was, Arsenal lead that was a, a 97th Nunez. minute goal to, to, to get all three points there as well though. yeah but they actually got all three points Liverpool mm. only got one mm. Very similar though, wasn't it? Well, Arsenal won the game, Liverpool didn't. In the dying seconds, yeah. in extra, yeah, but in, in added time, on added time. But yeah. Arsenal seemem to have that capability. They've been doing that for a long time under so Liverpool. Liverpool have scored more goals in the last 15 minutes than any other team. They've got 18 points from losing positions this season. They've been terrific at doing that. But they didn't do it at Kenilworth Road that day. Just one, that's they, one they day. Didn't, they just didn't do it on one home, day. They didn't do it at home to everywhere else. They didn't do it at home to Manchester United. I think Arsenal would have won that game. They did beat Manchester Arsenal United. Arsenal drew at home to Fulham. 
That was right at the start of the season. So what? They all count. You don't get less points for it being in August than you do if it's in for, for December. For me, Arsenal are more of a finished article than Liverpool. I still think they're too reliant on Mo Salah, both in terms of creativity and goal scoring. Still not convinced about them defensively. Mm. Still don't think Van Dijk is the player he was back in... 1920, for example. No one's, no, no one is as good as that team from 1920. None of the teams, you know, are, are at that level. It's a slightly different year. A lot of them in are in transition. Who's got the best defence in the league at this stage of the season? Well, it was Liverpool, wasn't it? Is that still the case? Yeah, yeah. The joint best defence of Arsenal. Mm. It's not much in it between the two, then. No, there isn't much in it between the two. Well, my money's on Arsenal. Yours is on Liverpool. It Man, is. Man City will probably win it. <laughs> not Aston Villa. No, I think that that bubble is burst, isn't it, Aston Villa? Uh, Liverpool, uh, they've got uh, their next game at the weekend. Uh, They're not playing at the weekend, are they? In fact, we're waiting until Monday night when they play uh, Newcastle United live on TalkSport. You're looking forward to that one, aren't you? Yeah, I am. Um, Looking forward to that Monday night football. uh, Live from uh, uh, Anfield. I'll be there with Stuart Pearce for that one. Then we've got the game between Arsenal and Liverpool in the FA Cup, which follows straight after that as well. Plus Liverpool's game against Fulham straight after that. So the next three Liverpool games are all live right here on TalkSport. You won't get those three games anywhere else. I wonder or not uh, if Liverpool will be uh, top by the time we get to the end of January. They've got their little internet, their little w- window for a break as well, as all the teams have. Yeah, that's come a good time for them because, of course, you've got the African Cup of Nations. Mo Salah is going to go link up with Egypt. But if Egypt go deep into that competition, as you would expect, there's every chance that he will miss the game against Arsenal at the Emirates at the mm. start of February. So that would be a huge blow, I think, for Liverpool. And that, that could come down to being a big game in the destiny of the title race. The world's most dangerous download. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Newcastle United uh, yesterday losing to Nottingham Forest by three goals to one. A Chris Wood hat-trick they're undoing. It's the sixth defeat in their past seven games in all competition. It's been a difficult December for uh, boss Eddie Howe, who's seen his side knocked out of the Champions League, knocked out of the Carabao Cup and slipped down to eighth in the Premier League table. This is what he had to say after yesterday's defeat when speaking to our match commentator, Mark Wilson. Eddie, you've been very good at home, so that result must come as a big disappointment. Yeah, big disappointment for us here. Um, Home form has been very strong. Um, Today was always going to be a difficult game first half was a lot of good thought we dominated the game but Nottingham Forest were always a threat in the match and um, yeah we didn't defend certain situations well enough Did you have the required quality today in the final third? Um, I thought we built the ball into that area really really well Um, as I say first half especially and then yeah probably the finishing touches to what promised to be a really good afternoon for us were missing Uh, and that always meant, I think, Nottingham Forest were in the match, as I said, and we weren't good enough in that phase of our play. It was like a game of basketball at times, so end-to-end, and even before their first goal, you had a big chance to, to make it 2-0. Yeah, as soon as we went 1-0 up, you're thinking the second goal in this game is going to be hugely important. Um, of course, we wanted that to be for us, but our decision-making, as I said, and our technical quality probably wasn't what it can be. Um, and then second half was sort of more of the same from our perspective. A lot of promise, a lot of good positions, but lacking in actual product. Being, you've been on such an upwards trajectory here. It's been a bit of a flat period for you for the last month or so. What would your message be to people watching your club at the minute? Um, I think, you know, from my side, I need to be very calm and analytical and, and make sure I view the performances for what they are. 
and have an understanding of the overall picture because I think it's very easy to look at just results solely but I think you have to look a little bit beneath that I still of course hold us all accountable and me included players included and make sure we uh, we come back even stronger from this um, I thought he handled it quite well actually because it's a difficult sort of situation isn't it he's, he's pretty well aware that he, there's a lot of glare on Newcastle whenever you're the manager he walked in when they were under serious pressure so he knows what it's like to to come in and, and try and firefight a little bit they're firefighting a little bit now because they've had more games 11 midweek games not enough time on the training ground really and he does love to be on the training ground loads and loads of injuries injuries galore some players are coming back they're not 100% some players not in form but he didn't shirk it hinted that no one was safe came across like the guy in charge. Let's speak to Luke Edwards, who is the Northern football writer for The Telegraph. He joins us now. Morning to you, Luke. Good morning. How are you? Yeah, very good, thank you. You've followed uh, Newcastle uh, for quite some time now, and you're, obviously you've been with Eddie Howe since his appointment as the manager. He He's always very well spoken, even in adversity, but there's been a little bit more adversity over the last month or so than he's been used to over the last year. Yeah, it, it, it's it's probably the first sticky, real, genuine bad spell, sticky patch, call it what you want, he's had since he became manager. Really, um, it, everything's been very sort of happy, clappy. There's been a lot of a lot of good things, a lot of joy, a lot of unity, a lot of togetherness, and and everything has been serene in the world. And as you, and as you said there, Sam, I've covered Newcastle a long time. That's rare. I mean, that is rare for it to be two years of everybody getting on and everything looking like it's heading in the right direction. So, I, I think I think this is the first real test for him, but it's also a test for the ownership group above him. Now, every conversation that I've had with any of the UK-based power brokers at St. James's Park has said that they were anticipated these sorts of problems, that they knew this season would be tougher, it would be harder, and that they're, they're, they're probably, or probably, not you know, not certainly, but probably, wouldn't be another top-four finish this season, that the expectations that Newcastle will be getting in the Champions League again, they weren't shared in the boardroom, but the people I haven't spoken to, of course, are, mm. are the Saudi Arabians who, who, who uh, you know, Chairman Yassil Al-Rumiyan and, and the Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia. It's their football club. They own 80% controlling stake for a reason. So I think Eddie Howe will survive this. Um, so I don't think he's under any real pressure at the moment. The fans haven't turned on him. There's a, there's a few wild accusations on social media, as there always are. It'd be in a bit um, of a bonkers world if Eddie Howe, after getting them to a Carabao Cup final, into the Champions League for the first time, beating PSG for uh, at home, was under pressure just after Christmas, wouldn't we? I mean, it'd be a bit that exactly. that would be a bit wild. It would be very wild. And you have to remember, I mean, they should have beaten Chelsea in the Carabao Cup. They, they really should have gone through in Europe as well, if you remember the the, the ridiculous penalty decision against Paris Saint-Germain away yeah. in Paris. So it's very, very fine margins. I don't think he's under any real pressure at all from the fan base, from the ownership group. But what they do have, what they do have, you look at that fixture list coming up in January, it is brutal. They have mm. got... Liverpool away, Manchester City at home and Aston Villa away in the Premier League. I don't think you could have a tougher run of fixtures in the Premier League. And then in the middle of all that, of course, there's the FA Cup uh, Weirtime derby against Sunderland. Um, I think he's, <laughs> of all of those ones he cannot afford to lose, it is the derby game because that is that is when emotions take over. If they lose the derby, 
next month. Um, I think that's when, you know, reason goes out the window a little bit because it's such an important fixture for the supporters. But other than that, I mean, I hope they back him in January. That needs to happen. Um, I'm sure you're probably going to ask me about that. But they definitely need to strengthen the squad in January. The injuries have crippled them. If you think they're two main signings in the summer, well, Harvey Barnes, he's been injured since, since September, hasn't kicked a ball. And Sandro Tonali, who was £55 million, pounds, was supposed to be the, the key sort of missing linking midfield. He's suspended for 10 months. They haven't had those two players. And I think, you know, I think Howe has papered over the cracks in that squad for, for long enough, really. And I think the ownership group, having said to you there at the top of this, that they would back him, you know, with words and, and don't think he's under any pressure and they're gonna, not going to lose his job. I think they need to back him in the January transfer window as well. It's interesting to hear Kieran Trippier after that game yesterday suggesting that standards have dropped. I mean, his personal standards certainly have dropped. We were all at the, the Tottenham game when he was given a bit of a run around by Son. He was at fault in the, the previous match for a couple of goals that Everton scored. And even yesterday, it was... Uh, Chelsea goal that uh, sent it to penalties as well. Yeah, and of course, they missed a penalty and he was the one playing Chris Wood on side for the decisive third goal. What's happened to Kieran Trippier? Yeah, I mean, he kind of symbolises what's gone wrong with the team. You think he was absolutely phenomenal, and I don't use that word lightly. He was phenomenal for first three, four months of the season, really at the heart of everything, epitomised everything that made Newcastle successful. He was brilliant defensively, superb going forward. And as he's unravelled, at the age of 33, Newcastle season has unravelled as well. You, you've highlighted those games, Everton, Tottenham, the costly mistake against Chelsea, you know, two minutes left in injury time. Chelsea were completely devoid of ideas, looked like they could carry on playing for another two days and not score. And then his mistake gives Madrid uh, an equaliser and they lose on penalty. So I think a lot of it is, I mean, we, we can't underestimate fatigue. You know, Kieran Tripper at the age of 33 is, is being asked to play every game. They've got players at the end of the day who are carrying knocks who are playing. They've got players coming back from injury who are rushed back because other players are picking up uh, muscle injuries. But this is the problem you have when you, you almost advance too quickly, when you improve too rapidly, mm. which I think sensible people would have said Newcastle did. I said at the start of the season, Champions League could probably come at least a year too soon for them, really, because they had to play their strongest team in midweek and then try and carry on playing their strongest team at the weekend as well in the Premier League. And I think it was too much for them. I think we are paying the price now for them putting out that strongest team in September, October, every week. And then since then, it started to unravel. Players have you know, fallen like flies, really. Um, and, and I think Kieran Trippier is, is symbi- symbi- symbolic of that because he's been asked to play every game. And I think at the age of 33, he just can't do that anymore. And, and fatigue is a horrible thing as well. And how hates talking about tiredness. The fans are sick of talking about tiredness. And when you lose 3-1 at home to Nottingham Forest, of course, emotions are going to be running high. But you can't keep playing the same 11, 12, 12 players every week, uh, outfield players, and they are now into players, quite frankly, who were fighting relegation. There's too many of those players who were there under Steve Bruce who are now being asked to play every week again, and you're seeing their limitations, and that is all catching up with them. So as I go back to what I said, the fact the board really needs to bring in two or three players, I think, in January to bolster that squad. And if you look at so what has been said by some of the supporters, that a lot of the criticism is going to some of the players that maybe Eddie Howe has got to perform above their station over the course of the last 12 months, 18 months as well. And you just wonder... How quickly, and you discussed the growing pains, getting better and bigger, quicker than maybe you should. How do they manage the need to improve the squad 
at the same time skirt around the FFP considerations that befell them last year and are going to befall them again. They are they am are hamstrung in that regard, aren't they? They are, and that comes down to the fact that they are, as they had to in the summer with Alan St. Maximum, who I think they've missed this season, if I'm being perfectly honest. Um, I think they're going to have to sell somebody. Now, who do they sell? Um, I, I don't think they're going to sell anyone in January, but I think they will look to sell players. And the summer they have to, all of the big clubs, no matter how much commercial revenue they're bringing in, and we know Newcastle's commercial revenue isn't as large as the likes of Manchester City, uh, Manchester United, and the other members of the so-called Big Six. So they're going to have to sell. I think I'm led to believe there is some room for manoeuvre in January. Uh, I think they can do something in January, but whatever they do in January, as you've hinted at there, that then limits what they can do in the summer, which is when they'll want to do most of their business. So I think they'll certainly be looking at loan deals um, in January, but the FFP is a problem for them. It really is. And the only way you can solve that is to do something like Aston Villa did when they sold Jack Grealish for a hundred million. And that has then funded their transfer business over the, you know, the, the last two, two, two and a half years or whatever it is. So Newcastle are going to have to sell someone in the summer and that leads to some uncomfortable conversations doesn't it because you're talking about selling someone like Bruno or Isaac or Botman or someone like that one of their crown jewels but that is unfortunately where they are in the in this project where they are in their evolution from relegation battlers to sort of European chasers they're going to have to sell just to stay on the right side of FFP you sell one player for big money you make a huge profit on that deal that then gives you the room for maneuver that their you know their wealthy owners can come in and they can put some more money in but at the minute it doesn't matter how wealthy the Saudi Arabia's public investment fund is actually meaningless because FFP restricts them from putting too much money in and that's for a reason for the good of football as a whole but it does it does ham as you say it does hinder what Newcastle can do in the transfer market in, in the short to medium term. Download, stand well back, listen. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. Please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts from. And we'll be back tomorrow to bring you the best of the show.